Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, we return to the listener library for a suggestion from our mysterious listener, Mark. Mark writes, I'm wondering if you have considered doing an episode on Pigeon in the Cage, which appeared on Suspense in 1953, starring Dick Hames, and again in 1957, starring Lloyd Bridges. The story is clearly antiquated, specifically the main character makes a living hanging wallpaper, but it is incredibly well-written, and Bridges delivers an especially convincing performance as a blue-collar every man. Plus, he was an airplane, so I recommend that version. One of radio's most prestigious and longest-running shows, Suspense prepared on CBS in 1942 and continued to thrill audiences until its final broadcast in 1962. Known for its big-name stars, high production values, and sophisticated scripts, Suspense raised the bar for dramatic radio. By the early 1950s, though, suspense began to struggle with a shrinking listenership thanks to competition from television. The departure of longtime sponsor Autolite led to a reduction in budget as well. No longer able to afford A-list Hollywood talent, producer William N. Robeson used this reversal of fortune to his advantage, turning it into an opportunity to recruit new and exciting talent. The early 1950s brought a similar downturn to the career of Lloyd Bridges. After a decade of playing bit parts in B-movies, Bridges appeared alongside Gary Cooper and Grace Kelly in the classic 1952 western High Noon. Unfortunately, this breakthrough was short-lived. The FBI blacklisted Bridges for his connections to a theater group with alleged communist ties. Bridges was eventually able to clear his name, but was forced to jumpstart his stalled career. Bridges appeared on suspense several times during the late 1950s. In addition to Pigeon in a Cage, Bridges starred in Chicken Feed, Rub Down and Out, and Deep, Deep is My Love. Ironically, it wasn't radio work that revitalized Bridges' career. In 1958, he landed the lead role in a new television series called Sea Hunt. The show was an instant hit and made Lloyd Bridges a star. Pigeon in a Cage was penned by the writing team of Morton Fine and David Friedkin, who also contributed scripts to Escape, Bold Venture, Yours Truly Johnny Dollar, and Gunsmoke. After the demise of radio drama, the duo turned their attention to television with equally successful results, writing scripts for such TV classics as Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Barnaby Jones, I Spy, Kojak, and The Streets of San Francisco. And now let's listen to Pigeon in a Cage from Suspense, originally broadcast August 11th, 1957. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Mr. Lloyd Bridges in Pigeon in the Cage. A tale well calculated to keep you in... Gerald Brewer. I'm 31 years old and I'm a paper hanger. I got a wife and I got a kid in the way. She'd like to be home now. Wish I were out of here. 
button here. It says, uh, ring in case of emergency. But nothing happens. I've been ringing this bell for the last hour. Nothing happens. Nobody's home. I know that. But uh, I don't know what else to do except ring this bell. I'm stuck in an elevator in a private house between the first and second floor. The overhead light went out a few minutes ago, and I can hardly see. This uh, elevator isn't very big. It holds uh, all three people, four... There's a lever here for floor stops. But uh, uh, something's going wrong. The elevator won't move. And uh, there's two buttons here, one that rings a bell and the other for emergency stops. Overhead, maybe about uh, oh, eight feet from the floor, is a little door maybe about uh, six inches square. I don't know what that's for. That's a pretty old elevator in a pretty old house. Can't squeeze out of it, that's for sure. Three walls of this thing are cherry wood, and the front of it is a folding iron gate. I got on it on the fourth floor where I was papering the library. It was five o'clock, and I was quitting work. Then the elevator got stuck, and nobody's home. I've been yelling my lungs out, ringing the bell, calling for Mrs. Rogers, who owns this house, and pounding the wall. Yeah, nobody's home. I'm stuck. The elevator's stuck right above the first floor, right above the living room. So, uh, lying down like this, I can see into it through a gap. No bigger than a quarter inch. Uh, I'm worried a little about my wife because, well, because she'll worry. But there's nothing I can do but wait. Relax and wait. I knew that right away without looking at him. I remembered his voice because we'd had a discussion about uh, wallpaper pattern 1216B. Uh, it was uh, Sunday strollers in the park uh, for the library on the fourth floor. Well, if he was going to kill his wife and I just heard about it, what do you think he'd do to me? All I had to do was yell out and let him know that I'd heard. Uh, listen, I... I got a wife and a kid in the way. I'm a boy who figures on hanging a lot more paper before he dies. My, my family expects it of me. Besides, what am I supposed to do? Yell out, uh, hey, I'm hanging up here in the elevator and I just heard what you said. Uh, how do I know that Mr. Rogers wouldn't kill me, huh? Uh, I guess all I can do is just, well, just stay here and hope that I can think of something. 
better. You're better, Janice? You... The drink did it. I'm fine. Uh, what shall we do? What do you mean? While waiting? I don't mind waiting now. I, I feel fine. We left the party. We were dancing. Let's dance. Janice. <laughs> uh, Janice. What's the matter? Nothing. Let's just not laugh, that's all. Let's not do anything to make the other one laugh. Now who's nervous? She ought to be coming home soon. Let go of me. Now look. Nothing wrong, Harry. Just right now, let go of me. Okay, okay. I better go upstairs and get the gun. What? The elevator. Stuck again. Draw down the basement. Keep swinging open and stops it. Stuck. Sure it's stuck. Look, look right over your head. Oh, yeah. Harry. What? Suppose someone's in that elevator. Are you kidding? Suppose someone's in that elevator, Harry. How could anybody... Tell me how it got stuck. How do I know how it got stuck? Suppose someone's on that elevator and heard everything we said. Now, look, it's happened a hundred times before. Suppose the elevator went upstairs and I stood here and rang for it. The elevator would start, but if the basement door swung open, the elevator would stop. Right. You're satisfied? Right. It happened to my wife. And she walked instead of closing the door in the basement. It happened... All right, all right. Gun to the bedroom. I'll walk upstairs and get it. Mr. Rogers went to get the gun. I could hear him go into his bedroom. Well, yesterday I papered with the uh, hunters on horseback pattern. I watched the girl that he called Janice. She sat on the sofa for a little while. And she got up, folded her arms, and walked around the room. She stopped in front of the elevator. Anybody in there? Anybody in there? She kept looking at the gap where the floor of the elevator was a quarter inch above the top of the door. But the light was out in the elevator and it was black. I hugged the far wall. She couldn't see me. Then Mr. Rogers came back downstairs. You're not satisfied, are you? What do you mean? Looking at the elevator. Oh, I'm satisfied. Well? I tell you, I'm okay. Hmm. Uh, would it make you feel better if I went down to the basement and shut the door down there, stop the elevator in your seat? Forget it. It would make you feel better, wouldn't it? Leave me alone, will you? Janice. Stop it, Harry, please. You want to forget it, Janice? You want to go back to the party and... No, 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 no. Listen, I'll go down and close the elevator down in the basement. All right. That's what's upsetting you, isn't it? You're afraid someone's in there. Yes. Well, why did you say so? Please go downstairs and close the... Harry. Yeah. Yeah, it's her. You wait here. Yeah. I'll do it out in the garage.
Johnny, we're going to have to hurry. Make it look like a robbery. All right, Harry. He keeps the jewel in the safe there. Watch out, Johnny. Don't push me. Well, you're standing in the way. The safe behind that picture. Just tell me to move it. I'll move. Don't push me anymore, Harry. I'm sorry. Twelve to the right. Eighteen to the left. Twenty-two. Harry, the phone. I know it's the phone. Answer it. What? Answer it. Say you're Mrs. Rogers and get rid of whoever it is in a hurry. Say you'll call back. Hello? Yes. Yes, this is Mrs. Rogers. Who? Paper hanger? No, I'm, I'm sure of it. Yes, yes, goodbye. Harry. What is it? Was there a paper hanger here today? Huh? Uh, I guess so. The place is being papered. Why? That was his wife. Mrs. Brewer. Oh? He's not home. She expected him home hours ago. She knew he was here. Harry, the elevator. Yeah. Brewer. You up there? What about it, Brewer? You up there? Okay, Brewer, don't bother to answer. I'll find out whether you're up there. And if you are, you're dead. And now... We continue with the second act of Pigeon in the Cage, starring Mr. Lloyd Bridges. A tale well calculated to keep you in... Wouldn't you think that my wife would 
good wife. But if she hadn't called, Mr. Rogers and that girl would have gone away. Ah, we always blame somebody else when we're in trouble, don't we? Well, one thing I'm sure of. Mr. Rogers has a gun in his hand. And the other thing... The other thing that I'm sure of is that he isn't kidding. I'm positive that he isn't kidding. The man who's just killed his wife isn't a kidding type. Now, now here's what he's about to do. Close the basement elevator gate, push the button, and bring the elevator down. Then he's going to open the door, see me, shoot me. A man with a family, like I said, and I got a good trade, paper hanging. And a lot of things I'd like to enjoy in life. So I don't want to die. <laughs> you know what my life depends on right now? This button. Mark emergency stop. Mr. Rogers closes the gate and tries to bring the elevator down to the basement. And me inside the elevator, I keep my finger on the emergency stop button and I pray. Oh, nothing happens. The elevator doesn't move. What's the matter? You doing anything up there? What? What do you mean? Pressing the button or anything? I'm not doing anything, Harry. Well, something's wrong. What? What's the matter? I don't know. Just in case, I'm going to leave this door open, Janice, and I'm cutting out. Mister. Mister, if you're in there, mister. If you're in there in that elevator and you're... You know what's happened. And if there's some way the three of us can get together so that nobody has to get hurt anymore. Listen. All right, we killed his wife. You don't know what she was. You don't know what she was. She was... Janet. <gasps> Janet, what are you doing? So we can reason with him if he's in there. Maybe all we have to do is explain why it happened and, and maybe uh, tell him tell him we're not so bad. You know what I think, Janet? I think there's no one in there. There is. There is. I know it, Harry. All right. We'll make sure. Come on. We'll go upstairs up to the second floor. I've got a way to make sure. How? I'll climb down into the elevator from the second floor. There's a little trap door on top. I'll open it, strike a light. I'll find out. Come on. Have you got matches, Harry? I'll use my lighter. I got the trap door open. Can you see him? Wait. There. Uh-uh. Now I'm going to have to... Hey! Hey, what is it? What's the matter? He's in there, Janice. When I reached in, he knocked the lighter out of my hand. He's in there. No, we don't. It's all right now. It's all right that he's in there. What do you mean? We killed my wife, right? We were going to take her jewelry. We'd make it look like a robbery and murder. We'd make it look like she surprised the thief. She was coming home and the thief was leaving. Yes. Well, don't you see? I'll bring a body up here to the bedroom, and then I'll throw the jewelry in the elevator, empty the gun, throw it in. He'll be the thief. The murderer trapped in the elevator. Hey! How do you like that, brother? 
You'll be the murderer. Do it. Just do it, Harry. It's going to be all right. Just do it. I'll be right back. Mister, we know you're in there, mister. Just a couple of feet below. Listen, mister. What do you want? <laughs> Hello, Mr. Paperhanger Brewer. You think that you... What? If you think that you can get away with it... I tried to reason with you. All I wanted you to do was to go away. I talked to your wife. She was worried, wasn't she? If you listened to me, you could have been home by now. How could I listen to you after what you did? I tried to explain it to you, and you wouldn't listen. Mr. Rogers was a married man. You carried on with him, didn't you? You know what? What? He shot his wife, but you're just as much a murderer as he is. I know. Now, how can you expect me to listen to you? I don't want anybody else to get hurt. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Honest. How about the way you said kill him, kill him, huh? Meaning me. What about that? Because you had to act so smart. Because you didn't answer when I talked to you. I saw you. What do you mean? When you were downstairs in the living room, I was lying down on the floor in there and I saw you. I can't understand how anybody who looks like you can do what you did. What does your wife look like? Why? What do you look like? <laughs> uh, you don't even know me. You don't even know what a man looks like and you're going to do what you're going to do. Yes, I am. Mr. 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 Paperhanger, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. Why don't you answer me? <laughs> Give me a hand, Janet. I get caught in an elevator. 
And now I'm going to be blamed for murder. And there's nothing that I can do about it. Rogers and the girl are on the first floor now. He's helping her with her coat. She still looks shaky. I can lie down on the floor and see him through the gap. Hey. Hey, he's starting to leave. Ah, uh, Mr. Rogers. You're not going to get away with it, Mr. Rogers. Before you go, you better think about something. What about the fingerprints? What about the fingerprints on the gun, Mr. Rogers? You forgot to wipe them off, didn't you? Hello, Mr. Rogers. I'm lying down on the floor of the elevator, and I'm looking out of the gap when I can see you. Hello, miss. I'm in here, and you're out there. But you're the ones that are trapped now. Mr. Brewer. What do you want, Mr. Rogers? Mr. Brewer, I... Harry. That's right, isn't it? Your fingerprints are on the gun. Mr. Brewer, I guess we better make some arrangements, shouldn't we? Janet. What? Go down to the basement and shut the elevator door. Then Mr. Brewer will be able to bring the elevator down. Go ahead, Janice. Hurry. How does it feel? Uh, the first thing I want to tell you is that you can keep the jewel. How does it feel to be trapped? Oh, really, now. We'll talk this over. It feels terrible, doesn't it? Well, when you come out of the elevator. I don't think so. I don't know whether I'm going to come out or not. Not now. It's closed, Harry. Come on up. All I have to do is keep my finger on this emergency stop button, and you can't move this elevator an inch. Now, let's be reasonable. You killed your wife, Mr. Rogers. How do I know what else you got down there that you might kill me with? Do you think I would... Yeah, yeah. Ah. <laughs> you know what a silly question that is, don't you? Look, I got this gun of yours, and it's proof that you killed her. And no amount of arguing that you can think of can change that. Money! I got lots of money. I don't think money is important right now. Well, why is he? He won't come out. What? No, sir. I'm not coming out. I got you two where I want you, and I'm not moving. Janice, tell him how rich I am, how much I can do for him. Harry. Tell him, tell him. Harry. All the things I can do. All the things you can do. Look what you can do. Haven't you done enough already? Look what you can do. Now, I'll tell you about it when I get home. I uh, got stuck in an elevator is all. Well. 
should. I got stuck in an elevator. That was Pigeon in a Cage from Suspense here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was a listener request coming to us from Mark. And thank you so much for being a listener and for the request, Mark. And thank you so much (laughs) for that. Uh, if that gives you any inkling of where I'm leaning on this one, I found it to be a very, very good piece of suspense. Uh, yeah, overall. that's suspense struggling. They're doing okay in the 1950s. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. And it just gets to that thing again, like, seriously, is there anything better than suspense? Every time I find one, oh, I haven't heard this one, I'm like, wow, that's great too. And this was no different. I love uh, Lloyd Bridges' performance. I love how calm he is in his narration, and even in the live action parts, somehow his performance is calm and reassuring, <laughs> you know? You I mean just, outside the narration? Yeah, outside the narration, yep. you're even like, oh, good, you're in charge. <laughs> 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 like, that's the guy I want to be trapped in an elevator with. Yeah, all right, we're, we're good, we're good. So uh, and he knows a thing about wallpaper. He really does. <laughs> he knows all the patterns by heart. Yeah. Once he quotes wallpaper pattern twelve sixteen B. One of the things I liked about the sense of detail they built into his character, where he knows exactly what wallpaper and what pattern he put in each room, mm-hmm. it matches his very meticulous narration. Mm-hmm. And the story concept itself requires that he give us all this detail at the top, mm-hmm. but it also matches his personality. Mm-hmm. He's a very detail-oriented person, which and you would have to be to hang wallpaper. into that extremely focused nature of the story that mm-hmm. you, he is looking through a quarter-inch crack. That he, like Everything that happens is on a very minute detail level. Well, the description at the top is not only uh, radio drama 101 but how it was written and how it was done and how it was insight as you're saying into the character's personality there's no light the size of the elevator the buttons the levers the six inch door above him the walls are cherry wood there's an iron gate like all of that is great for establishing an old-time radio drama but it's also interesting as you're saying to establish the personality of Mm -hmm. this character and how much attention to detail he has, which leads us to our ending that he was able to think mm-hmm. through the fingerprint part on the gun. Well, the other thing I picked up on the second listen is that I believe he's narrating um, in the present tense. Yes, absolutely. Which doesn't happen a lot in mm-hmm. old-time radio narration. It's usually after the fact. So it, it feels like you stumbled into this elevator with him, yeah. and he starts to catch you up immediately. That's one of my notes is the narration isn't referring to the past. We're listening to what's inside his head in the moment. However, the interesting trick to this that they pull off, which I, I wouldn't even attempt, is he is still talking directly to the audience. It's mm-hmm. not truly what's inside his head it's like we're in there with him Mm -hmm. which is very different and i think it was maybe a choice based on again how much exposition is at the top it takes almost two minutes Mm -hmm. for him to explain the setup so it really shouldn't work if someone were pitching this to me i would be like we don't want to spend two minutes describing the interior of an elevator however the concept only works if you do that because it's not a a concept that everyone immediately understands he has to physically explain what's in the elevator because all that's going to be important later what floor he's stuck on Mm -hmm. why he's there and so 
I think the first person present tense narrator makes that feel more mm. immediate. It's and exactly it, right. It feeds into how small and limited his world is by he tells you every single detail there is about it in a couple minutes. <laughs> and leaves none of it out. Yes. That's, that's <laughs> all he can see, all he knows right now. Uh, and, and that way, it kind of reminded me of a stage play, because for Radio 2, it doesn't change locations. Right. Ghoulish was, Delights could do this. <laughs> I was actually struck by how good this is for radio, because it, it is kind of cinematic, it is kind of visual, and it is kind of narrative, but it, both of those would sort of fail. If it's you're just watching a guy hide in an elevator... It's tense, but not as tense as this is. It's true. And I you can get away with it on stage through the soliloquy. You know, I mean, just that fourth wall breaking to the audience is really what this is. And I think it would be beautiful on stage. I, it, the, just the opening of the ringing of the bell and his description, you said that, the, you know, it takes so long to establish mm-hmm. everything. I like the process and the pace of the establishment. You open up with this ringing of the bell and we're slowly brought into what is happening. And, you know, ringing you don't know at first that it's an elevator. You just hear the bell ringing right. and he starts talking. It could be a phone he's not answering. So, yeah, they take advantage of, you know, 30 seconds of disorientation on mm-hmm. the listener's part. And then it gets more and more specific, as Tim says. Right. And I love that line, by the way. I don't know why it's not particularly great but he says i don't know what the hell else to do but ring this bell mm-hmm. <laughs> but it really establishes where he's at i was curious i went back and looked at the time mark and it's 17 minutes into the play before he interacts with another character other right. than mm-hmm. the listener and for all that great detail he's providing when he disappears when he vocally vanishes from the action of the scene it really reinforces that notion of he slipped into the back of the elevator into the shadows and he's mm-hmm. gone. You feel him there. He's still listening. but And a very small space. So he's really got to be crammed against you know a wall or to not be seen. It's a total personal story, but it was hilarious for me that I had a creative writing teacher in college that always wanted us to start our stories where the story starts. Seems mm-hmm. redundant. But he'd right. always, as an example, go, if it's a story about a guy stuck in an elevator, you start the story with the guy stuck in the <laughs> elevator. And I was listening to this, I went, he's right. <laughs> 20 years later, I was like, he's well, absolutely right. It's interesting that we talked about the narration being in the present, too. It, it's a trope to start the narration that this happened to me. Let me tell you that story. And then we go back to it. So you know he's okay. Right. At least he lives if he's narrating it in the past tense. Mm-hmm. Here you don't. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, so I, the, I love the detail of his wife calls and he goes through like, I'm mad, but I can't be mad. <laughs> right. But all that description, by the way, at the top of what he's seeing and what his options are, are not only for him, but also for you, the listener. He's mm-hmm. laying out his options. It sets the scenes and the confines and that constriction and giving us a sense of a claustrophobic panic. Yeah, and I I really like the scenes with Mr. Rogers. I just like the murderer being Mr. Rogers. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, And his uh, girlfriend, Janice. Mm -hmm. Um, Their discussion of the murder is really interesting in that at first we think Mr. Rogers is the more cold-blooded one. Mm -hmm. But once things turn and once um, Janice realizes that there's a guy in that elevator... She's the one egging him on. Uh, Mr. Kill him. Rogers, yeah, take the gun. You're yeah. going to have to kill him. So mm-hmm. I, I found that to be a nice, interesting and there switch. Was, I mean, the nice technical element of you hear his voice so close and almost, almost whispered in your ear, and then you vaguely hear them talking a little tinny, mm-hmm. and then their world gets bigger as it affects him. 
I think it's also very interesting, piggybacking on what you're saying about her being mm-hmm. more cold-blooded uh, and him not being as in control as we thought. When she dies, we find out, and maybe this is a little too romantic for this, maybe, but we find out that he does truly love her. Oh, Janice? Yeah, yeah. that he loves Janice, that killing his wife really was a huge step for him, that he loved her that much he was willing to kill his wife. You, you shouldn't do that, by the way, people. <laughs> but we find careful, his lo- careful, Eric. <laughs> but we find his love to be true yeah. because he's so distraught that he uh, was able to be snuck up on and making I him- read that as he was that distraught because the jig is up then. It's going to be hard to explain his dead wife and his dead mistress in the house and blame it on somebody else so that he wasn't involved. That's how I read it. I read it as... It was surrender. He was, oh, no, you're dead, you're dead, and he was very distraught by it, allowing Lloyd, uh, Mr. Brewer, to sneak up on him and punch him. It's this. There's a possibility that that guy really isn't as criminal as he's made out to be. This is a, a one-time kind of deal. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? I get what you're saying. They, that they haven't a had a lifetime... character. Right. right. They, they haven't had a life of criminal activity. Mm-hmm. This is love so desperate. And then when she dies, yes, the jig is up, but also, oh no, this is my Why reason even for living. Why bother now? Right. <laughs> I get what you're saying. I think that's maybe adding a bit more than the story intended, but okay. gosh knows I like to do that. <laughs> I was just going to say, oh, okay, <laughs> Mr. Layers. <laughs> it's the idea for me that attracts me is when non-despicable people, mm-hmm. really good people are driven to do despicable acts that might be a one-time thing. There are mm-hmm. things that can drive you there that I think this is left open-ended enough that these two might be not those kind of people, but have been driven to this through a mad, passionate love. I think there's enough there that we're not 100% sure. They're not Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. everyday people who, are, who have stepped into this world of murder. Right. Uh, it also helps to explain their incompetence at mm-hmm. the end. Correct. I, I do praise this story up and down. I feel it stumbles a little for me. I was taken out at the end. Some of the mechanics of the negotiation over the gun. I had a hard time believing that he would drop the gun in without wiping the fingerprints. At the same time, I also think his fingerprints on the gun that was presumably their house gun, right. where he could say, yeah, that is the old fingerprints on house it. gun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes. I feel like that shouldn't have given him as much pause. Well, the, the trick of it is to get my Marvel no prize is that so long as Brewer doesn't touch the gun, his prints aren't on it, and the police have literally found him with everything he will have had. So if he has no gloves, then he didn't have gloves. And I think that you're kind of arguing for me in the sense that I think that they're not career criminals, and they would make that mistake. Your interpretation of it certainly helps that. Helps that moment. I actually had the... My first stumble was one story point before that, though, just... Why would you even leave him alive to tell his part of the story? It would be much better to shoot him and leave him dead and make it look like the wife killed him or something like that. The, it was they've a, already a been robber. out at a party, and and you know I it's... actually found that convincing that the uh... I did too. When he goes, wait a minute, I got an idea. We'll drop the jewelry and the gun in there, and blah blah blah. I wrote uh, the setting of a brewer by the guy seems brilliant in the moment. If he had wiped the fingerprints off, I think that would have worked. It might be, again, me projecting all sorts of backstory onto the wallpaper hanger, as in, like, mm-hmm. 
I've listened to this wallpaper guy narrate this entire story, and if I were a police officer, I would believe him. (laughs) 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 And if I were Mr. Rogers, I would just burn the whole house down. (laughs) That's what I'd go and let him find the bones. If this had turned out that the police arrived and interrogate the guy in the elevator, Mm -hmm. Lloyd Bridges' character saying, yeah, no, I didn't do it. And the cops would be like, yeah, I I believe him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> nope. They'd hire All him. right, then. They'll hang wallpaper at the police station. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just, he might not have realized the off-true police truth of, so someone's been hurt or murdered. Let's get the husband. <laughs> yeah. So you did find the convincing, his plan, after they discover him in the elevator. Uh, yes, I did find, like, that's not too shabby. Um, Sit there, Joshua. Oh. <laughs> I think that's totally legit. I mean, partly it was just such a good story that mm-hmm. um, I'm giving it a hard time for letting me out of its grip for a for moment, a mainly because yeah. I enjoyed it so much. I loved the tiny mundane plot detail of, and it was it's a very Hitchcockian, <laughs> Hitchcockian. <laughs> but when he's eavesdropping there, and he learns all they need to do to find him is go downstairs and shut the door and the jig is up mm-hmm. and then him thinking through it like i need to hit that emergency stop button mm-hmm. and beat by beat of he is a second away from being found out he's a second mm-hmm. away from being found out and how long they prolonged that i will say that i had a moment where i was taken out of this story and had a beef with it and that was when i pictured the lloyd bridges of airplane <laughs> <laughs> smoking 800 cigarettes and don't picture that Lloyd Bridges. Striker, striker. striker. So you're, you're imagining the elevator door opening him, him just riding a wave of cigarette butts out of the elevator because he'd smoked so many. Oh. I will confess to another dumb moment in um, theater of imagination of when he, at the very top, is saying he's a paper hanger. I was like, he writes bad checks for a living? <laughs> <laughs> Which is you know, jargon for... Very old expression. Yes. You pick that up from Catch Me If You Can movie yeah. with uh, Tom Hanks and yeah. Leonardo well, DiCaprio. You tried to save that, but that, that doesn't really help. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts before we go to the vote? I think that final moment when he accidentally killed her and he just walks out of the elevator and punches him (laughs) and then calls his wife is a just sweet little moment i love Um, the moment when he the first thing is to call his wife and not the police (laughs) i'll be home soon i got some jewels for you (laughs) um there's also that weird line when um he's talking to janice and he says i can't understand how anybody who looks like you would do what you did and she says what does your wife look like and Mm -hmm. he says why and she goes what do you look like it was a weirdly tense exchange mm-hmm. of dialogue think, for what the content was. I don't mean this is a criticism. No, I found it I intriguing. <laughs> I think it's a reference to the idea that she is very good looking. And if you're yeah, very good I, looking, I why would you turn to... What I was your, wondering is is the weird, like, what does your wife look like? What do you look like? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what I liked about it is that um, it didn't finish the argument. It just leaves it hanging out there. Right, right. That's right. I mean, the moment, the moment where he responds for the first time was this huge jump in the, the interest in the story of it's happening now. Whatever's happening is happening right now. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. There's a, a philosophical layer going on there about uh, something. <laughs> wallpaper. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Layers. Layers, Layers of wallpaper. <laughs> well, uh, we ready for a vote? Yeah. Yes. I'll start it this time. Um, I love the pace. Uh, I love the performance, the writing, the tension, the suspense, the resolution. I think it was beautifully done. Suspense does it again. 
stands the test of time. And I really like the story to the point I'm going with classic. Yeah, I agree completely of this is not necessarily one of the titles that you hear about when people say, you must listen to these great titans of old radio, but this is excellent. Mm-hmm. And I uh, unrepentantly call it a, t- a classic. And again, I, Joshua brought it up. Uh, this is one on my list of, ooh, I'd love to see the stage adaptation of this. This would be <laughs> yeah. easy, set to build, and mm-hmm. and you wouldn't have to pay a lot of actors. <laughs> That's important. That's so important. <laughs> Calling up actors and telling them you're not paying them. <laughs> there'll be no rehearsals, no performances. You won't get paid. Just want you to know. Uh, is your voice loud enough to be heard in a closed elevator? <laughs> you're hired. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was impressed by the originality of the concept and the fact that on the page I would go, well, this isn't going to make a very good radio show. And it really does. I have my few little critiques of of some of the logic in the negotiation of the ending, but I still really like the ending. So it definitely stands the test of time. It's a great episode of suspense. I'm not going to quite go the classic route, although if pressed, I could not violently argue with you gentlemen. (laughs) It's a great episode of suspense. All right. Well, thank you, Mark. Thank you so much uh, for recommending that. Tim, tell them stuff. Hey, please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes of the podcast there. It's also a great place to learn about our live shows. We do live shows. There's links to our social media pages like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Also, you can just comment on individual episodes. Uh, A lot of people have posted some very thoughtful, insightful things that we really appreciate. Mm -hmm. Feel free to join the conversation. Yeah, you can also support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash themorals, and you can become a member of the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. We've got all sorts of rewards, fun stuff. Uh, we also like reviews on iTunes, so you can go to iTunes and write a review. We have a lot of needs, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I realize half of you have already turned this podcast off before we get to this part, <laughs> but if you've, you're hanging in there and listening, bless you. There's all sorts of fun stuff. Okay, we need to come up with a better pitch than fun stuff. Yeah, you're like right. Word it's, finds. Yeah, I realize we just finds. we assume twelve year olds are listening to this podcast. <laughs> Ask your parents to turn on the computer and log you into Patreon.com/slash/TheMorals. <laughs> All right, coming up next, our 129th episode, and this is Tim's pick. Yes, it is. We'll be listening to the Red Hand from Weird Circle. Until then. Look out! You're not going to get away with it, Mr. Rogers. Before you go, you better think about something. What about the fingerprints?